Welcome to Comadres y Comics. Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 76. How are you guys doing? I'm hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I was gonna say I'm doing fine, but I am literally like five inches away from my air conditioning. So the the answer to that question is no. It's no, hot. It's hot. We're not okay. We're melting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. For those of you in places way hotter than this, we generally all three of us live in Southern California, um, but like more coastal part of Southern California, not coastal, I guess, but I mean, Los Angeles is um, not too far. There are some inner parts of LA that get really hot, but I don't live in one of them. And so it rarely gets into the nineties where I'm from or where I live. And so yesterday was 81 and it was hot. And today so it's supposed to be a little bit cooler, but I'm suffering. Oh, I <laughs> It's been, hot. It's hot. We've been lied to. It's it's so yeah. crazy. You come outside and it's like you feel like you're you're crisping under the sun. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, yet, thankful. and yet, Kristen, she ran twenty six miles. <laughs> yes. Yesterday, oh, I wow. had planned to run twenty six point two miles, which is the official distance of a full marathon. I ran the Los Angeles marathon in March, and my intention. I've been running consistently since lockdown and um, during this whole COVID thing and thought that I would try to improve upon my time that I um, did in March, which was not a good time. I'm a super slow runner. My time was like seven hours and 12 minutes, um, which is not my personal best. Uh, my personal best is more like six hours and uh, 30 minutes, which still is not good. But uh, well, it's good that in that I did it, but it's just not, I'm not a fast runner. And so my intention was to do that yesterday, but instead I finished in seven hours and 39 minutes because I walked the entire last six miles because it was so hot. And literally I went to find a street where there was shade and I literally did the last three miles back and forth, back and forth, just in the shade because it was so hot and I didn't want to not finish but also I didn't want to die. So I yeah. was just like, I'm just going to do this. And I, I, anyone who drove by me was kind of like that poor girl. What is wrong with her? She's lost. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so it was, um, it was very, very mentally trying to finish yesterday in the heat, but I did it. And, um, I didn't, I didn't improve upon my time, so I have to try again. I'm gonna, I'm, my goal is to try again in November, which uh, hopefully is a much cooler time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> here. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, no that's... doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, you don't run out into new territory. You just run around the same area to complete your uh, distance, right? Well, yes. I mean, because of COVID and social distancing, I have just been running in a little industrial part of my neighborhood. Um, back behind where I live in my residential neighborhood, there's an industrial park and the loop around the park is a little over a mile. 
So I've just been going there and running and there's nobody out, especially on the weekends because everything is closed. But even during the weekdays, everyone's working inside their buildings and I go around the sidewalk and it's, there's no retail or anything. Um, so I just am able to avoid a lot of people and don't have to worry about putting on a mask when I pass somebody or, um, you know, what, worry about being too close to somebody else because I'm the only one out there. Uh, and I generally on the weekend start at 6 a.m. So there's nobody around. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. That's really cool. That's a good tip. Yeah. Because I was like, she's out there running and there's, you know, the pandemic going on. But you are very smart about it. And I'm glad you explained that to us. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so what uh, what I've been interested in right now, I think uh, today is Sunday. And on Friday, they released Umbrella Academy, uh, the second series. Second season, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm already on uh, issue number eight, or should I say episode eight? <laughs> and I really enjoy the show. Um, I never read the comics, so I don't know uh, what to compare it to, but as far as I can tell, the show is really amazing. I like um, the budget they're using because they're going back in time, so they have to do a lot of like, you know, period oh. clothing mm -hmm. and cars and buildings and signs and stuff like that uh, so I, I really 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 enjoy it I highly recommend it if you have nothing to watch right now definitely check out Umbrella Academy so just a little reminder what is the premise I, I read the first trade paperback um, and I remember that like these there was a certain day and time where all these women had babies and uh, those they babies were they even pregnant i don't even remember but there's something weird about all these births and these children ended up having superpowers right right uh the women were pregnant uh but their pregnancy accelerated at uh, so they didn't wait nine months they that's were, what it was right yeah. okay and uh -huh. so this this very rich man uh intelligent scientific man came and he uh, took the babies he didn't steal them he purchased them or yeah, i don't know i don't know <laughs> they didn't explain that very well i'm assuming he adopted them adopted them but i mean <laughs> from, the mom, them. <laughs> from the women i mean i wouldn't give out my kid like it's right. my kid so yeah. did he like he didn't kidnap them he might have give them monetary settlement or something uh, i don't know i want to know but uh yeah that's <laughs> And then he takes these kids and they form the Umbrella Academy. And there are superheroes that fight off all this stuff while they're kids, but uh, they're growing up in a, a very weird kind of home setting. Their mom is a android, uh, the butler, or you know, the, he's a chimpanzee. Uh, it's a talking, intelligent chimpanzee. And then there's a dad who actually is not very emotionally attached, yet they all want to make him proud. Right. And and then they just they they grow up and then uh, we actually see that part where they're already grown and they're kind of hooked up in a sense kind of thing. So yeah. So what you're telling me is that this is basically a retelling of the X Men story by Gerard Way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even it's not even really X Men. It's uh, God, what is it? It's like. Because the X-Men is the whole thing is that they develop their powers once they turn, like, in their teenage years. They're, right, like, yeah. born with it. Right. Like, all of their, like, 
all of like all of these kids births was like extraordinary like it was fast it was unexpected and they were already born with their powers or like weird mm-hmm. and stuff like that um, um so it's like i it's a little like the the part about them growing up in a like a, in a communal home and yeah. like being raised to like uh be superheroes that's very excellent but the rest of it is like it's yeah it's like x-men but fucked up <laughs> yeah definitely i mean if you really read which the x-men part, which every part single of one of them got their issues yes they do <laughs> among them cyclops but anyways we're not getting into that um uh, <laughs> as you can tell she does not like scott summers <laughs> yeah i don't like scott summers i don't like his character i've never liked how he's been written i do not like cyclops but anyways um yeah it's apparently season two is like super super good I'm really enjoying the heck out of it. Uh, right now, like, I'm talking to you guys, but I really just want to turn on the TV. <laughs> That's how I feel about 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> what about you, Jen? What's up with you? What's going on with your uh, with your life right now? Uh, it's going to sound very boring, but not much, because, like, I haven't really been doing anything i've just i haven't left my house at all it's still the same video games talking with friends and helping my parents so it's all been part of the norm for me honestly that sounds fine to me as long as food keeps showing up on my doorstep i wouldn't leave anywhere (laughs) if i didn't have to (laughs) honestly and soon i'm not gonna have enough money to go anywhere Oh, sadness. I know. I'm, I'm crossing sad. my fingers, though, that the politicians in California um, actually work on continuing to help people who are out of a job. Yeah, same. Yeah. It sucks, man. I, I mean, I don't know how some people are doing it because, I mean, for me, I, I'm still working, so, like, I'm not really affected, but... I, I just can't even help to think what's going on with other people out there that are not working and still have yeah. pay, bills to pay and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It must yeah. be super hard. So, man, just uh, stay strong is all I can say. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, what are you guys drinking? Well, I am drinking uh, uh, old fi- favorite. Um, Allagash Brewing Company is my favorite brewery, and I am drinking Allagash White, which is just a Belgian-style wheat beer, um, and it's actually the drink that saved my life yesterday at about, around mile 21. I came in and was so hot, and I could feel that I needed a, a heavy dose of carbs, and I wanted to drink a cold soda, but all I have here is diet soda. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to drink some beer at mile 21. And it was like an immediate just rush of energy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess maybe from now on, I got to drink beer on my long runs. <laughs> not, not a half bad way to spend it. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. Eddie was like, just get drunk enough and you won't care about those last six miles. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> well, I'm drinking miles. It's a blue and exile. And the cool thing about this one is that there's a code that you scan and you get their album for free. So oh, I, have, wow. yeah, I haven't scanned it yet, um, but 
but I'm going to. I heard that the album is really great, so I can't wait to hear it. And oh, that's this, cool. And this is that a, does sound really cool. This is a, a Birtha Glyph Hip Hop Craft Cerveceria Mundial, and uh, team up with Blue Exile to bring this beer to them, uh, to the masses, along with their album. And um, uh, you enjoy a flavorful palette of sycamore and citra hops, full of uh, full body double hazy IPA, uh, but also the latest album called Miles. And every every time I read that title of the of the album, I always think Miles Morales. Me too. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty said it a couple of times. Yeah, but I thought of. I feel like it's Miles Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was yeah, going to ask you, is sense. it a, a group that is local to Los Angeles or? I'm pretty sure they're, I haven't oh, okay. read up on them, but yes, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I, cool. I did a lot That's of head for cool. the four, but yeah, it's, uh, I really love the color and the art of the can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The art actually kind of reminds me a little of Boondock, Boon, Boondocks? The Boondocks thing? Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Boondocks. A little bit. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. I'm, and it's, uh about four different cerveceria collaborations or nice. brewers so mm -hmm. i'm very excited cheers guys cheers cheers oh, jen hasn't told us what she's drinking oh that's right i'm sorry i haven't drank i it. was <laughs> i was drinking lemonade but oh, okay. i may have finished it <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> i guess limeade uh, which one the the green ones are limes right yes yes uh -huh. okay then i'm drinking limeade in spanish it's confusing because yes, yes. Limonada. Limon, yeah. <laughs> Limon, limones, they're basically the same fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I some I sometimes try to get the, the yellow lemons here at the house so that they can use con, um, con tajin and, like, um, their fruit. But everybody refuses to use them. They only want to use the little lemon-lime ones. Really? Ones, yeah. yeah. I'm like, but this one has more juice. They're like, well, it doesn't taste the same. Like what? No, it, it it doesn't. Um, um, they taste different. I guess they're the the green ones are more acidic, mm -hmm. at least in in my taste, and I like I like them a bit more. But lemonade lemons for lemonade is actually better than limeade. I like I like um I like the yellow lemons for making lemonade more. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've had limeade from Sonic. That's really good though. So if you ever come across a Sonic, their limeade is really good. Ooh, I guess they have strawberry limeade that's really good. Too. <laughs> wow. Well, salute, guys. To yes. Salute. To limes and lemons. <laughs> <laughs> My beer's already hot. Ew. Sorry. <laughs> it, this is actually really delicious. It's really soft. It's in the, in the taste. Good. There's no bitter aftertaste. It's 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 really good, actually. I'm I'm really yes. happy with this. I'm so happy with this. Anyway, so that was uh what we were drinking, guys. Um, what do you guys have for chisme de la semana today? Well, I have a chisme that I was actually pretty excited to hear about because um we hadn't been hearing anything about this for a while, but the Hawkeye, the production of the Hawkeye series for Disney Plus, has reportedly cast their Kate Bishop. And they have nice. reportedly cast Haley Steinfeld. 
uh, as, or Seinfeld, as Kate Bishop. And in case that name doesn't ring a bell, she actually received the Best Supporting Actress um, nomination for her role in True Grit, the remake of True Grit, when she was, I don't know how old she was, but she was a young girl. Um, she also appeared in season, or episode, not season or episode in uh, Pitch Perfect number two and number three, which I've never seen any Pitch Perfects. It's something that I think is right up my alley. Uh, You're missing like, out. It's so good. I know. I like those <laughs> kinds of, of movies and I love uh, musicals, but I've never seen any of them. Um, and also, she voiced Gwen Stacy in the Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. So, yeah, she did. Um, that is who they are reporting is going to be taking over the role of Kate Bishop. But unfortunately, there is still no uh, release date for this TV show. Um, just like all the other Marvel TV shows that were supposed to be coming out, like WandaVision and Hawkeye. I'm not Hawkeye. Um, what was it? Um, Falcon and uh, mm, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Yeah, um, and there was an animated one, I think, too, that was coming out. But anyway, um, everything has been put on hold because of COVID. And so I know that Hollywood, has. there has been talks that, you know, they're figuring out how to work around this kind of stuff. But I mean, mm -hmm. a production really calls for a lot of people who don't live together to come together for extended periods of time um, and I don't know how that would really work so for now that's kind of just some news that we have to also put on the back burner because um, productions are just right now aren't happening so yeah. I mean on the one hand it's good news and on the other hand we're still waiting <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean with a lot of with everything that's going on Hollywood hasn't really been able to do anything yeah. uh because production is just there's so much interpersonal things going on that it's like it's pretty hard to assure the safety of everybody while yeah. still like uh trying to you know record yeah although mm -hmm. some of my favorite reality tv shows are figuring out how to do it um the bachelorette is mm -hmm. um is recording um their most recent season and so is big brother so if you are oh, a big wow. brother fan um they are currently um putting everybody into quarantine and then they're going to start doing their recordings which is perfect for that tv show because literally it is about a group of people who are put into a house and quarantined away from society for like three months um so perfect uh mm -hmm. <laughs> they are um, figuring out how to do that. I think just mostly the concern would be for the, the production group uh, behind the scenes because they are leaving and coming back. But the, the people on the show, they only have uh, any contact with each other for that period of time. So they just need a quarantine mm -hmm. before they go in, get tested, make sure everything's okay, and then they can stick them in and start recording. So, so you saying that the other day I was watching Say Yes to the Dress because that is absolutely my guilty fucking pleasure. I love <laughs> Say Yes to the Dress. Um, uh, and one of the people who was on it was a Brig Brother contestant who got oh. engaged with somebody she met on Brig on. Oh, Big really? Brother. Yeah, and it was it was a lot of fun. How and funny! So, I thought I thought it was really funny that they that they met on Big Brother and they're like, uh -huh. hey, like we actually connected. You want to get married? 
<laughs> well, better on Big Brother than Survivor. There's people who hooked up on Survivor. I'm like, these people have not showered in I don't know how many days. Like, how are they kissing each other? They haven't brushed their teeth. Ew. Ew. God. <laughs> but there's Would actually I... been quite a few couples that came out of Big Brother. No way. That's kind of sick. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Like, you're being recorded for the world to see, not for each other to see. I think that's how it works. Is that a how it brother? works? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Big Brother yeah. is basically, you're being recorded 24-7. There are not just the weekly TV show that gets edited and produced, but there's live 24-7 feeds. So people can watch what you're doing 24-7. You pay a fee. What? to subscribe to this online channel and you watch what's going on. I'm not even kidding. There's people who during the time that Big Brother is on will watch the feeds and do live updates. And I'm not going to lie. I would go on and read the, the live updates so that I could see, see behind the scenes of what's occurring and what's happening. And I'll be like, oh, my God, Eddie, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I hate <laughs> that you don't know what I'm saying. This matters. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. It's like the Truman Show, but in real life. Yes. Wow. <laughs> You know, I would do it if they give me a PS4. Like, if I can just play, like, the PS4 as I'm on Big Brother, that's it. That's all people would see me do. I'd fucking live stream that shit and be like, yo, what's up? Welcome to my Twitch. I'm on Big Brother. And here's me playing Dead by Daylight. (laughs) (laughs) That's freaking awesome. (laughs) But I don't think... I would bring no drama because I'd just be playing video games, hogging right, the TV. Yeah. Actually, no, that's where the drama that's would drama. come in. I'd be yeah. hogging I'd be hogging the TV. There is no TV. You don't get any outside connection to the real world at all. You don't have your phone. You don't have TV. You don't even have books. Unless what? it's the Bible. You can what? read the Bible. The Bible? Yeah. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Maybe yeah. if I had Oh, okay. That's TV okay. And- so I couldn't have a PlayStation. Damn. Yeah, no. Yeah. Forget it. What, <laughs> what do they do then? They talk amongst each other? Boring. Yes, and then they, and then they actually have um, competitions that they force them to compete in. So mm-hmm. it's a they whole thing. keep it interesting. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. But okay. <laughs> I guess it works. Uh, well, that's all to say that despite the fact that Hawkeye is not producing right now, there are things that are still being produced. Just like, I mean, mostly it's reality TV shows. Like um, you saw it on American Idol and you saw it on um, The Voice and then also on America's Got Talent. They're doing everything just through Zoom and and uh, those kind of like distance type recordings. So mm-hmm. They're figuring out a way around it, but when it's scripted stuff, it's a lot harder. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, it's time to review a book. What are we reviewing today, Kristen? Well, today we are reviewing a book called, actually, there's two titles because this book was originally in Spanish and it is, it was released as uh, La Casa and Jen is mm-hmm. holding it up right there. And um, we had both of the, um, yeah, and we have both of the renditions. We had the Spanish and the English um, book and it is a book that is 
um, by a Spanish, literally Spanish from Spain, European uh, creator. And his name is Paco Roca. And he's a Spanish strip cartoonist. He's best known for his comic book, Wrinkles, which, <coughs> excuse me, was also adapted to a film um, directed by Ignacio Ferreras. And that was released in 2011. Um, we decided to go ahead and review this book because it was actually the winner of a 2020 Eisner for best U.S. edition of, of international material. So... so uh and the award, of course, is also shared by the translator, Andrea Rosenberg. Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So or Andrea Rosenberg. So a little description about this book. Um, it is a deeply personal um, story. And actually, Roca um, dedicated the book in the back to his deceased father. Um, and it's about three adult siblings who returned to their family's vacation home a year after his, uh, their father's death. Uh, they each bring with them their respective families, their wives, husbands, and children, with the intention to clean up the residence and put it on the market. But as garbage is hauled off and dust is wiped away, decades-old resentments quickly fill the vacant home. Roca asks, what happens to brothers and sisters when the only person holding the family together is now gone? Yeah, there is a pause because um, <laughs> this is a, it's, a, it's deep stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um, mm -hmm. very. This is Sarah. This is a very beautifully executed book um, on sort of just um, looking and mulling over the fact that one of your parents has passed, and then there's you know brothers and sisters involved, and many of the stories are like you weren't there when dad needed you or. Yeah, uh, you always get away with everything because you're the youngest or, you know, little resentments like that, that hit close to home. Most definitely. Yeah. I, I had to put the book down um, two times because um, even though it's the father who passed, uh, a lot of these kind of conversations are some things that I had, some kind of conversations I had with my family regarding my mom who mm -hmm. has passed. So uh, this book was way too close to something that I lived, and so I, I had to put it down uh, about twice during reading it because it was just um, very real for me, and very uh, it just the, the execution and the conversations and the background and the, even the faces they made. Like, there's a part where the oldest is talking to the uh, the oldest sibling is talking to his sister. And he says, well, I had to make a choice. Please tell me I made the right choice. And she just looks ahead and then looks at him with such anger yeah. and then yeah. storms off. And there was no, there was no dialogue there in that, in those panels. But man, did he execute that, that look. And I was just like, mm -hmm. I felt that. I was like, oh my God, that's, oh, there was so many feelings for me in this. I, the, the art is amazing. The colors the conversations, the dialogue, even like I said, the facial uh, facial um, expressions in certain dialogue, um, everything, even the kids, the little kids playing in the yard, mm -hmm. uh, even the teenage kid with his phone. I mean, it was just, <laughs> this whole thing was just like, it's like he's taking pictures of true life and putting them in this book and it just flowed so beautifully. And I could mm -hmm. understand why it won the Eister. 
but that's how I feel, Sarah. How about you guys? Yeah, it was um, uh, it was very raw and real. And personally, I don't. Uh, my my grandfather passed away a couple years ago, and um, well, I wasn't there to help with like funeral arrangements and stuff like that. My mom immediately like left the country to go uh, and um, uh, to go see well to try to go see her father. She unfortunately she had made it to the main village uh right as he died so she had just hit the village when he passed away so she wasn't there to be to be with uh her dad when he actually did pass away so she 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 had barely just got there and then when she finally got to her home they told her like he passed away 30 minutes ago oh wow Uh, that close oh my god yeah that close and my mom i think uh as i was reading this i couldn't help but like recall that how just how she was so devastated that she wasn't there in time to see her to see her to see her dad uh and stuff like that and um uh, and she stayed there for like a cool long while because they had to arrange the funeral they had to arrange um uh, like what happened with the property even to this day they're still arguing about land about what they're going to do with the land and stuff like that and it's been like three no no it's gonna be um uh, it's gonna be two years Mm. no one two no i think it's gonna be three years since he passed away and i'm just like that's a long time to hold and she told me she didn't really get into it but she told me how like there was a lot of fighting going on because i be my grandfather and grandmother had 10 kids oh they wow actually, they actually had 16 but six of them passed away in yeah. uh like were stillbirth slash mm-hmm. like they died in like in child early childhood yeah so there was only there's a, 10 of them that's a lot of kids yeah. uh and in the beginning of the book you see him talking about his his family line uh and like like his his parents uh like his dad his dad's dad and his great-grandfather and kind of like the history of that lineage and stuff like that um and that reminded and he, that reminded me of just like my own like my own stuff like that so while i don't really have much experience with the passing away of of someone that close to me i as i didn't really know my grandfather well mm-hmm. uh i i because i grew up here in the states i was only able to see him like three or four times uh before he eventually passed away uh so i didn't have that deep connection but my mom does so uh, just as I was reading it, uh, what hit me the most, what affected me the most, was the flashbacks that each sibling had yeah. uh, for the memories. Because I'm, I'm sure we all have like a specific memory that we recall vividly about our childhoods, and or something, something that triggers it. To me, to this day, every time I cut a mango, I have a specific memory about me being five and watching my mom cut a mango for me. And now every time I cut a mango, that that memory plays in my head, like in the background of my head. It's mm-hmm. always there for me. And like, and it's just, and it's, it's like a funny little quirk, but I think we all have like stuff like that of something that we learned or something that just inspires such a visual and auditory and sensory memory that, uh, that we, sometimes we get lost in it. 
and he did a really good job of capturing that of just how my favorite one has to be about is the older brother's memory of when he comes to the house and he's talking he's talking to his sister and he's complaining about their middle brother Mm-hmm. about how he didn't get the correct paint and that yeah. he and that he didn't like roll up uh the the hose well and that he could tell that those were the ones that he used because they weren't rolled up well or that the stuff wasn't in the place but as he was talking about that as he was talking and then he goes to his son he looks out through a window and he has a memory of his father planning the house and how it was going to look mm-hmm. and how his dad took his suggestion, even with him as a little kid, of putting a window mm-hmm. where he asked because it had a good view of the sea. And I, I just, I really like that one. That one, that one made me very teary-eyed. And I don't know why, but it was just kind of like, maybe it's because he was the oldest and it was his oldest kid. And sometimes you just indulge them. Because uh, as my parents do with me sometimes. But <laughs> I, yeah, but I, I don't know. I really like that one. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Jen, that um, the flashbacks of the siblings and how their perceptions were so different around the exact same situation. Um, mm-hmm. Because each each sibling has a different role in yes. the family. And I only have one sibling, but even with just one, it's funny how we will go back and forth about who's the favorite. And <laughs> he insists that I'm the favorite. And I'm like, oh, my God, do you want me to list all these things of how, of how and why you're the favorite? You're the baby. Yeah. Um, but his perception is, is completely opposite of what mine is. So mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed the way that that was written and portrayed in the books through their flashbacks mm-hmm. and through their conversations. Yeah. They he got sibling relationships down like I'm guessing because he has siblings too. I'm not uh-huh. entirely <laughs> sure about uh the the um, uh, I don't know if it's autobiographical or semi autobiographical, but he definitely got like the F of the family and the and the sibling relationships and even the parental relationships pretty down down pretty yeah. well. But yeah. and it's it's hard sometimes to capture that. So he's he's very talented. Mm-hmm. Uh not only that, um, I know this was a span like a European Spanish book, but it felt uh I don't know, it just kind of reminded me of just how much influence uh the Spanish had on our culture, on Latin X yes. culture as well. Uh-huh. Because the style of house, the the like growing fruits in the house and everything and all that stuff and even the the roles that the siblings played is just it was it was like a reflection and I had a moment of I was just like man shit (laughs) I I actually I'm glad you brought that up because I thought the exact same thing as I was reading it and looking at the panels Mm -hmm. and just in taking the the culture of what he was portraying on the pages of family and just how how he wrote it it was actually almost kind of jarring when he mentioned the Spanish city and I was like oh yeah that's right this isn't some Mm -hmm. city or story that's happening in uh south central America this is Spain Spain and Mm -hmm. I had the exact same uh, thought of how similar a lot of those cultural and familial aspects were um, mm-hmm. in this story that was being told. 
yeah, yeah. As, as I was reading it too it was but as I was thinking it I think there's more to be said he's they're not rich no right, from what I can no. tell in this no they're like maybe middle class mm-hmm. but they had that they had history in poverty from what you can tell in yes and he yes. touches upon that too mm-hmm. and that's the parts that I think I related to the most is when they would talk about the poverty and what the and the eccentricities that his dad developed because he had grown up poor and stuff like yes. that uh-huh. uh i think that's a and it goes to say that some i guess some class experiences or like maybe uh how how cl- some class experiences are transcendent throughout cultures or maybe it's it's yeah. this spanish culture that uh that brought about these um uh, these experiences of being poor and stuff like that mm-hmm. that the, well, um uh, hmm? well yeah do you, you guys remember when we had pepper rivera who, who did our intro he yeah. said i have more in common with the poor white man than a rich mexican i mean that's that's yeah. that's kind of been a staple of those words really um they really spoke to me and and that actually brings us back to what you're saying jen in this book that uh you related to their a stint uh of their life where they were uh in, po- uh, in poverty uh mm-hmm. where he was going hungry and had to go climb up uh the e- uh what is it eagles is what is it a, a, a fig tree fig tree and just mm-hmm. eat figs because he was just so hungry Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, he was also saying how they had so many siblings that it was just hard for the dad to feed them all. Yeah. So, and that, in essence, uh, what spoke to me in this book, what I felt really personally triggered, not really triggered, that's the right, wrong word, inspired maybe, um, was uh, where the dad would make all the siblings work. Like they're gonna build a pool, they're gonna oh, yeah. build a fence, they're gonna garden, you know. And my mom would, like on Saturday and Sunday, she would put on the music really loud. And it's like we're gonna lay down cement. <laughs> <laughs> like damn, really? Yeah. Or, oh my god, that explains so much about you, Sarah. Really? Because every weekend, I feel like there you're doing some sort of huge project whether it's like cutting down the tree or building a shed or digging up roots or i, mm-hmm. I mean you clean your garden yeah you you do all kinds of stuff i'm like oh my god you <laughs> you, you like are very gifted when it comes to like actually putting together big projects and mm-hmm. not even just putting them together but seeing them through to fruition because yeah. <laughs> that, that in itself Executing is a skill them. yeah <laughs> But no, that definitely came from my mom. She uh, would wake us up. It's like, okay, we're laying down cement today. Okay, we're planting the tree today. Okay, we're gardening today. Like that was her thing. Uh-huh. Like, we, we mm-hmm. and and that is another thing that I saw from the father in this uh, character in this book is that you know the, where they said, oh, you know, he could never stay still. Like he was always doing something. I was fixing something. I was doing that because yeah. he was happy doing that. And my mom, I remember with her, I'm like, mom, why can't you just like relax in front of the TV and just, you know, have a beer or whatever. But no, she would be out there like every weekend. She would be gardening almost every weekend. 
Yeah. And like she had beautiful mm-hmm. flowers and everything and hummingbirds would come and mariposas. Um, but it was a lot of work. She had to get up early on the weekends to tend to her garden. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I got a little bit of that, but at the same time, I couldn't be that devoted because man, it's so hard. But that I saw her in the main character in this book and the father who could never stay still. And when they made a reference to... Uh, he was ill. We don't even know what surgery he had, but we know he was yeah. he was disabled for some time, trying to recover. And they said, "Well, that was no life for him because he was always active." And right. that's that's one of the things that really struck me because mm-hmm. that reminded me so much of my mom. Yeah, I mean, there's a saying about how um, uh, how like old old creators or like people who are in work. And you can see that they're visibly old and that then when when they retire they pass away and it's just that how without without something to do they don't know what to do except die yeah and and that's kind of like what happened right here and it's and it's and it's sad but it's it was it this book was a very good reflection on family and mortality as well yeah. I can see why it won in, in Eisner. Yeah. I mean, because exactly what you're saying, he, mm-hmm. he, he was by himself. His wife had passed away. He got sick and he was no longer able to do the things that he liked to do. Mm-hmm. And um, the children all admittedly had no time in their lives to mm-hmm. go and visit the way he wanted them to. And, um, and I feel like that, is a theme that comes up a lot in um in stories and tv shows and movies and stuff i mean i mean what's that song cradle the the oh, the the uh the, was a cat cat in the cradle cat in the cradle yeah. <laughs> the song is about that yeah. <laughs> no is it the cat in the cradle right it's called. yeah 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 uh-huh but oh my god that song was so sad every time i, hear I know it, I just like start just yeah. crying it's just so sad <laughs> yeah but um it's just it's just to say that life happens and mm-hmm. you know up you start responsibilities and you start to have a family of your own and it becomes not less important but less easy to you know continue mm-hmm. to keep up those um relationships with uh, your family or even sometimes your friends. Um, yeah. and I, I think that, uh, regardless of how you feel about, you know, whether or not that's right or wrong, it happens to a lot of people. Uh, yeah. and, um, I think that, um, it was portrayed very realistically in this book. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, for me, uh, the part where, uh, his daughter was telling him, dad, maybe you should sell your car. You can't really drive anymore. Um, you know, you, it's ridiculous to keep paying insurance on a car that you're not going to be driving anymore. You should just sell it. Yeah. And then um, one of the things, because I worked in the medical field for a long time, one of the things that I saw was once you took the ability of someone to drive, mm-hmm. they come, they immediately uh, started um, uh, not not thriving anymore. Right. Because you mm-hmm. just took away their independence, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're dependent on their on their kids to drive them around, mm-hmm. or take the bus. And it's not as easy coming from driving to taking the bus every day everywhere. And yeah. so it really it really kind of 
you kind of take a part of their soul away because you're taking mm -hmm. their dependence away and mo uh, more than likely like a year later they would be gone mm -hmm. not only that uh in the book itself we see how he he worked most of his life as a driver so he yeah. loved cars or he yeah. liked he at least really loved driving mm -hmm. or like and stuff like that so that was taking like a very important piece of him like there's a like the as they were like cleaning the house and like recalling memories and stuff like that all i could i couldn't help but think about how like you know uh what brings you joy of the marie condo <laughs> thing uh -huh. and and um as they were cleaning it i couldn't help but think that like this man had all these uh in the beginning of the book it says like it, when you look at the house you can see decades in certain areas and like ye how the years have passed yeah. uh in that house and i couldn't help but think that this he the dad kept all these things because it brought him joy it right. brought him memories of his kids and stuff like that memories that they themselves weren't even aware that they had until they started you know cleaning and throwing away stuff and trying to like fix it up yeah and this wasn't even their primary home it was their vacation home and so yeah. it's it kind of important to um to in the story to um see that this was the place that they came to have joy and to um mm -hmm. enjoy themselves as a family and to do fun things that um yeah. they couldn't do like maybe the beach or whatever wherever they came mm -hmm. from um and I think that uh, it says a lot that when he was in his last days, that that's where he chose to be. Mm -hmm. So that was, no, I got the impression that that was, that was where they grew up. But then mm -hmm. they themselves, once they grew up, they left that, they, they left that home because it is, it's called La Casa. And it says that he, that he lived there, that he lived there for like, I think the rest of the day, that he built that house. So I right. think it was uh, not exactly a vacation home, but it was definitely um, uh, their dad's home, their parents' home. Like uh -huh. their, like I don't know why I read it that it said that it was, or even what I was reading that it gave me the impression that it was their vacation home. But some people live in their vacation homes for months out of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't, because I read it in Spanish, uh -huh. so uh, maybe there was like an awkward translation or something. But it uh -huh. did one, uh, or maybe there was like a like a misunderstanding but yeah. for me it read as if that was like that was uh that 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 is like once they got older and moved away that mm -hmm. is where they went for vacation but oh, it wasn't it. yeah it wasn't um uh like that was that was their vacation was going to was going to the house but the house itself was their parents house okay yeah what well, kind of makes sense because uh the jobs he had were around the area where the vacation home was <clears throat> Mm -hmm. Like the driving jobs. Oh, yeah, jobs. that's true. The driving jobs and all that stuff. But, but they did make a, make a mention that the mom wanted to be closer to the kids in the city, so they lived in an apartment in the city as they were older oh, to try yeah, to have yeah, them yeah. come and visit, uh, but oh, they weren't really visiting anyway. they wouldn't visit, right? Yeah, and yeah. so, um, and there's a lot of, like, uh, parts where it's kind of painful to read. Like, for instance, um the time where the daughter had to come and take turn and relieve the other brother from taking care of the dad, but she couldn't come because she had to take the kid to the pediatrician. Those little jobs are really important too. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of those in the book. 
like I should have done this. And a lot of laments about not visiting enough, especially yeah. when the mom was around or the dad was around. I mean, yeah. they said that the last time they saw him was on Father's Day um, and the mom had already passed. But even yeah. then he was out fixing the toilet rather than having dinner in the makeshift yeah. pergona. So pergola, pergola. Pagoda. Pagoda? Pergola. Pergola. Pergola, pergola, pergola. Now they both sound wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, that was, I think that was one of the most endearing moments for me in the book was when yes. they actually built that together. Yeah. Uh, the dad built it because remember, he got mad they didn't show up. To they help didn't show up, right. So he mm. built it out of like recycled stuff, which is definitely a trigger for me because that's what I do. I try to build stuff out of recycled stuff. And uh, I, it just would look so much better if I bought it from the new stuff. <laughs> this was yeah. one thing that I was like, I feel like there wasn't really a very good parallel between uh, European and Latino culture because Latinos will show up because they don't mm. want to be guilted about not showing yes. up. Yeah. You're absolutely <laughs> right. That is 100% right. Like, yeah. even if we're just standing there holding the shovel, we're going to show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty that's pretty true that's so accurate. those little idiosyncrasies really like kind of but yeah no i get it yeah that's for most of us it's that uh catholic guilt <laughs> yep yeah <The> catholic guilt <laughs> most mm -hmm. definitely i mean even we 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 shame people for not showing up to parties. I mean, uh -huh. come on. <laughs> oh my when, God. when you do show up, even though I told you not to bring anything and you don't bring anything, mm -hmm. you're yeah. the topic of the cheese man that week. <laughs> Did <laughs> you know she came with nothing? She didn't bring anything. Don't even try to ask to take nothing. the leftovers. <laughs> uh -huh. You have to be told, do you want some leftovers? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, oh yes, I brought a Tupperware. Let me go to the car again. <laughs> Let me get yeah. the car. <laughs> Yeah. Do that at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Bring our Tupperware and leave it in the car until they tell us that it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's only polite. <laughs> the oh, polite yeah. thing to do. Yeah, because if they give you their dish, you better bring that butt back. Yeah. And, and full of something. Because <laughs> you, you can't just return it yeah. empty. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, I can return it clean, though. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, um, did you guys want to add anything else about the book? Um, I mean, anything else would just be saying more of the same and, and little examples about it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I really was very touched by the story overall. And there was a couple of times that even in the very beginning of the story, um, I teared up over just the, the idea of, you know, these siblings having to come together for such a somber reason. Mm hmm and how even like a year later they were still affected by mm -hmm. the death of their father so it was like um i will say this it had hmm the ending was uh it, we couldn't come to a conclusion what it was about it's i know open. i had my yeah it was it was kind of open-ended yeah. uh but not really about what happens to the house. It definitely depends on your interpretation. Kristen uh, <laughs> expressed how she is very displeased with that. But uh, yes. <laughs> I kind of, 
I kind of, uh, I tend to, th- it's not my favorite type of ending, but I do think sometimes it's appropriate in some books. Uh-huh. And I think it was appropriate in this one. I think uh, an open ending is this one is definitely more of a reflection of how you yourself would treat something like that or how you would want it to be. Um, um, and it's left to your interpretation kind of mm-hmm. of like your own experiences or what you think you yourself should do uh, or would do in this situation like that. So I think that was an apt ending for this one. Um, um, I completely agree because I felt it ended in keeping the house, keeping the vacation home for everybody to come and enjoy at their leisure. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but, but the girls here said that it might have have been sold. But for me, yeah. constructing the pergola together was kind of a, and having how the grandkids are like, I really love it here, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But, but we do know that everybody was kind of struggling to actually maintain the home. It was, it was easier for them to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but being that so open-ended, I feel that for me, I feel better in my heart knowing that they kept it. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say they kept it. <laughs> yeah. No, the conclusion I came to was that they sold it, and that building the pergola was them saying their final goodbye to their dad. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. Just because the realities of having to upkeep a home that they admittedly discussed was in disrepair because nobody had taken care of it for that year that the father had mm-hmm. been gone, and just how all of them were busy and their uh, in their own lives and they had kids and work and stuff like that. I just feel like it made sense. Like emotionally I could, I know they would want to keep it, but I think realistically it made more sense to sell it. But I agree with Jen that the building of that pergola is, was like their, their appropriate goodbye to their father. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you say it like that, and I do have my mom's home in Puebla, which I have only seen once since she passed, I completely agree with you guys because it's just so hard <laughs> mm-hmm. to maintain. Uh, just, you know, and even, I mean, it's in a small town in Puebla. I mean, how many times can I possibly go and see something new there? Like, I want to go to, like, Japan, you know? Like, I go to <laughs> But yeah, yeah. no, uh, then, uh, but yeah, that actually was very beautifully said that uh, Pergola was built in their, in their way of saying goodbye to their dad and honoring their dad by building something together as he always had them do. Mm-hmm. And it's something that he always wanted to build. So that right. makes sense. Um, so are we ready to rate the book? Yeah. Uh, yes. You guys go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um... Uh, I was like, wait, are you going to say? <laughs> no, I was, I was waiting for you. <laughs> okay, so okay. this is Kristen. And I give this book three conchas and a cup of champurrado um, because it was very um, poignantly told. The story was very poignantly told. The art, we didn't really touch upon the art very much. No, I mean, we didn't, the artist but it was really and good. And the writer, but yes, the, mm-hmm. the art is very amazing, and the colors mm-hmm. and the tones were very soft and um, mm-hmm. earthy, and uh, that also kind of reminded me a little bit more of South and Central America, um, yeah. but I think that, um, 
as the storyteller, both the artist and the writer, he was able to really mesh the the both styles together very well. He's mm -hmm. he's very very talented um, as an artist. So yeah. um, I give it uh, three conchas and a cup of champurrado. I loved it. Uh, absolutely no question of why it won an Eisner, and it actually makes me very interested to go back and read some of his other stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I highly recommend um this book in spanish for those of you who have um elder parents or um any elder uh, uh family member who actually might very um easily connect with these characters i mean even as you were talking jen i was thinking that you have this book in spanish you should give it to your mom to read yeah actually that's what i was planning on doing it was giving it to my mom and dad to read especially yeah. because um i didn't touch upon this much but my dad actually kept my parents home like they uh -huh. they they split up the land that my grandparents owned on my on my father's side he kept the house uh and his brothers kept the land the land around it so uh, okay. he actually went to, he has gone to the trouble of repairing the house of going back to the house and he actually has someone living at the house to take care of it Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And so I think he would, yeah, I think he would like this book. And I think my mom would like it too. And it also just touches my heart to have older generations reading comic books and, yeah. and connecting with them. And so the fact that this book is, um, is in Spanish is in both English and Spanish is mm -hmm. also another reason why we wanted to to review this book because it's um, it's few and far between that you get that opportunity to be able to see one that's in Spanish as well. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. So what's your uh, rating Jen? Okay so my rating is also three conchas and a cup of champurrado because it was um, it was it was excellently written it was well drawn well colored uh the even, even even the formatting for it wasn't too hard to follow as well because it's actually it's not like a traditional comic in that it's by the like it's in that traditional square for square format or like mm -hmm. rectangular kind of well you know book shaped this one's a bit longer right. it's more newspaper newspaper style Yes, which uh, he well. is a strip cartoonist originally, oh, okay. so that makes perfect sense. That does make perfect sense, actually. I didn't, I didn't even read that part, mm -hmm. but it was, it was very touching and it was very emotional as, uh, as above all else. And I think something that most of us can relate to, if not in the passing away of a loved one or of a parent, but in just like sibling relationships or dealing mm -hmm. with like dealing with like resentment and stuff like that or sibling rivalries and stuff like that it's uh i think it did a good job of touching upon all those subjects so i give it three conchas and a cup of champurrado that's awesome this is sarah and i'm gonna give it the whole panaderia and a <laughs> slice of turron which they make a lot of reference to turron, yeah, yeah they do <laughs> yeah they do a spanish um kind of um candy but based on almonds Mm -hmm. so, so all, almost like a cajeta with almonds it's weird it's but it's solid no i know what you're talking about uh so anyway i absolutely love this book um when i was reading it the first time around i got a text from my aunt and i had to put the book down and i was telling her all about it so me being so excited to tell, to tell her about it who she does not really read comic books and i was telling her how it reminded me of mom and stuff like that and uh so just 
having such a big anchor to this book in in a emotional state um it's just it it, it gets the whole fun out of the for me definitely mm -hmm. nice and i would love to read it in spanish just to see like the little differences that there might be but um, I think it's a book you could definitely share with your, uh, like you guys were saying, like your mom, your dad, your aunts. Um, it's something that really speaks to older generations, mm -hmm. maybe even older generations from different countries, which I think yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. So that's my reading, guys. All right, guys. So that was uh, Tres Conchas and a Cup of Champurrado, and then Tres Conchas and a Cup of Champurrado by you, Jen? Yes. And then the Hope on Adria from me, Sarah. So that was our book rating. Thank you, guys. And now it's time for On My Radar. What do you have for us today, Jen? Today I have, and this came out about a week ago or so, but it is the third volume of The Adventure Zone, Pedals to the Metal. Um, uh, and it is so good. It is one. It's it's the biggest. It's the biggest graphic novel that they've made, uh, so far yet. Because I was, uh, in my like sense of nostalgia, I grabbed one and two and I reread those two and I was comparing them. And this one is a lot bigger. But also, when this was originally recorded in the Adventure Zone podcast, it was their longest story for that uh, for that time before they made even longer ones. Uh, but they did a great job with it. So. Uh, Pedals to the Metal is about three adventurers who have to who have been uh, hired to like uh, collect like these super powerful objects, and this is their third adventure doing so. But it is really good because it's set up kind of like a race, like a like a Fast and the Furious uh, type of deal. But also, <laughs> it contains a canonical. A queer couple, uh, specifically a lesbian couple, uh, and it was very well. It was very very well done. Like oh, cool. so good. Like I cried, uh, how good it was done. Uh, wow. Also, the story itself was really touching. But um, uh, the art is amazing. The story is amazing, and um, um, it's I no lie. I have reread this book already like three fucking times. Really? Yes. Because wow. I just I really really like it. And just also rereading it made me want to re-listen to the podcast again. Yeah. And so I've been re-listening to that too. But it's uh, it's it's really good. There's actually, uh, there was actually something, there was a change in the book from the podcast that related to one of the characters coming out and saying that like, oh, the, the person that we're racing against was uh, significant to me in that I was in love with her. In the wow. podcast, how they addressed it, they had used magic to get her to say that but mm. in this one they didn't they took that out because they said that once they realized that that was kind of like basically outing them or like forcing them to out themselves yeah. they did not agree with what they had it envisioned and in the book they changed it so that she like they the characters themselves were more compassionate to her plight and she basically said herself like yeah i was in a relationship with this well with this other with this other person uh and so they did a really good job of kind of like uh of like one fixing their past mistakes mm -hmm. and stuff like that and just really like capturing that canonical queer couple as well it was it was really good excuse me awesome. i've only listened to the first episode of the podcast and the only reason i listened to that episode was because i read the first book 
And um, for those of you who don't know what um, adventure, I always want to say time, but it's zone. Uh (laughs) Adventure zone is um, basically the podcast is the, um, the goings on of uh, a family of two brothers and a dad who basically are sharing their D and three brothers and their dad sharing their D and D campaign on their podcast. And the story, the the podcast gained such an amazing following that they turned their actual campaigns that they created in the podcast into graphic novels. And I loved the first book. I've never (laughs) heard the podcast. I don't play D&D. I don't have, I played D&D in sixth grade. Um, and my, I think I mentioned this before, my DM was a fifth grader or a fourth grader and it sucked. <laughs> and I was like, why does everybody like this? This is horrible. It's boring. Um, but this book made me want to play D and it made me want to go back and listen to the podcast. Um, and I'm actually looking forward to reading this third one. So, um, I haven't even read it yet, but I agree wholeheartedly with Jen that, um, this is something you need to go out and get. Yes. That's super cool. All you guys with your little D&D campaigns and stuff. <laughs> yep. I still have yet to get into that, but I mean, I know a lot of people that super love it, so that's freaking awesome. And now it's time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen, what do you have for us today? Well, today in the... Um vein of lifting up black voices, uh, especially here in the comic book industry, I wanted to talk about a creator who recently had their comic book idea auctioned off. And uh, Chisme on the street is that there were at least 10 publishing houses that were vying for this uh, comic book. And the comic book itself is called These Black Arms Hold You Up. And it is created by Ben Passmore. And you might recognize his name because he actually is the creator of Your Black Friend, um, which was a a book that came out um, a couple of years ago. Uh, And he is an uh, Ignatz (laughs) award-winning and Eisner-nominated cartoonist um and has become one of um the the biggest um writers out there in the comic book industry um Mm -hmm. talking about systemic racism um and he has um other graphic novels out there that i had not heard of actually until i i've heard of your black friend because we actually have copies of it in the store but when i was reading this article about um this auction and how these black arms um, hold you up, you know, was like the most buyed after uh, comic book out there right now. I started learning about some of his other works. Um, he has another um, book called Sports is Hell, which is um, kind of a book that is mostly about American football and talks about kind of how the dichotomy in America between like how American football is like, like, as American as apple pie, uh, I guess that's supposed to be baseball, but you know, you get the idea. And actually the realities of how um, there's actually a lot of oppression and racism and, uh, and just like alienation of just uh, culture and race within the system itself of American football. So that's what sports as hell is. But the one that I was really, really interested in is his um, book, 
that is, I, I read it, it was B-T-T-M-F-D-R-S. And I'm like, what is that? Is that some kind of acronym? And then when I actually like said it out loud, I'm like, oh, bottom feeder. <laughs> so <laughs> bottom feeders is actually um, a collaboration that he um, made with uh, Ezra Clayton Daniels. And it is a book about gentrification, but wow. it is mm -hmm. a book about gentrification that actually is told through the medium or through the genre of horror. Yep. So wow. that was like, I was like, oh my God, that sounds awesome. So like, for example, there's like a woman who, um, who talks about, um, about her uh, landlord, you know, being this horrible, awful person, but guess what? He's actually a monster or like that kind <laughs> of stuff. So um, it, in the book itself, it basically uh, the description is talking about how gentrification is an unwieldy monster and bottom feeders posits that there is in fact a force at play in the way that society is structured. And it's just an inscrutable and impossible to fully comprehend combinations of elements. So it's just really interesting to, to actually see this like social injustice played out uh, through the horror genre. And I'm super interested to, to read it. Um, but um, I think that uh, Ben Passmore has um, a lot to say. Um, he is um, saying it through comics and graphic novels. And so mm -hmm. um, if you're interested in any of these books, um, of course, um, these Black Hands Hold You Up is not out yet. It just was purchased by Pantheon. Um, but your Black Friend, Sports as Hell, and Bottom Feeders are uh, available and you can get them at your local comic book shop. Well, that sounds amazing, dude. For him to use his voice uh, in, a, in a comic book platform sounds really amazing. And I would really love to uh, actually review the one about uh, in a horror book genre in maybe in October. <laughs> that would be oh, super yeah. awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sports as hell. Yeah. So thank you so much for letting us know about that. I can't wait to read more about him. Thank you so much. And now it's time for saludos. Kristen, who are we mandando saludos? ¿A quién le mandamos hoy? I was like, saluda, saludandoin. <laughs> ¿A quién le saludamos? Saludamos. <laughs> okay, so um, I actually recently, um, quote unquote, met this woman on Facebook. Um, and it's not as sexy as it sounds. But... Uh, <laughs> but uh, her name is Lauren Gray, and she is the creator and host of a podcast called Back Box Pinball Podcast. And the reason I thought it was actually interesting or important to share um, about what Lauren does um, is that she hosts a weekly podcast about women in the sport and hobby of pinball. So it's very similar to what we do um, with Commodity Comics, where we highlight uh, women and the Latinx um, presence in the comic book industry. Um, and I really see gaming, whether it's arcade gaming or video gaming as still a, a highly male per perceived, highly male dominated yeah. uh, industry and just 
Um, I feel like the fact that she's out there providing this podcast for women who are out there. And Jen mentioned earlier, who even knew that there was competitive pinballing? Like, yeah. I had no idea. So, uh, so um, she does news and interviews and has great conversations about pinball. And she hosts it and then has different guest hosts on each episode. So you can find the podcast at backboxpinballpodcast.com. That sounds super cool. I had no idea that there was a genre behind it, like that there was a following of pinball and ladies playing pinball. That's yeah, super cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. What everywhere, people. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to get you. <laughs> All right, guys, this brings us to the end of our episode. Where can they find us, girls? So you can always find us on Facebook at Comic Comadres and Instagram at Comadres y Comics. You can find us on Twitter at Comic Comadres. Or you can email us directly at comadresycomics at gmail.com. And we do have a Snapchat we haven't used yet, but we do have a brand new YouTube channel, Comadres yes. y Comics Podcast. Uh, we'll be put, we have one interview on there but we are getting ready to post our second interview. So check us out, like, and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, like and subscribe down below. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for listening. We have been your hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.